You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to TC's podcast on the go. I'm Chinhui Ng, Program Director from Toronto Centre. Today, I'm at home base in Toronto, Canada, and we are going to talk about a subject that is perhaps unconventional for a Toronto Centre podcast, but one that deserves to be addressed as we all grapple with the COVID-19 pandemic crisis. So for this episode, we are going to talk about the mental well-being of financial supervisors as we carry on with our jobs and our mandates to supervise financial institutions and contribute to financial stability, all at a time where there is widespread disruption to our professional as well as personal lives. To help us get our minds and hearts around these issues, I'll be talking to our expert today, Max McConnell. Max has been practicing psychotherapy for 15 years and runs his own practice in Toronto. Max is also a registered social worker in the province of Ontario. A warm welcome, Max. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Chen Hui. Max, these past few weeks of the pandemic has seen massive change in the way we work and interact with one another. Many of our financial supervisors are working from home as countries impose lockdowns. And our routines at work, at school, at play have been drastically disrupted. And some of us, unfortunately, have also experienced deep personal loss. What are you seeing in terms of how families and individuals are reacting to and coping with so much change and disruption in such a short period of time? Great question. Um, One of the main things that we're seeing with this is this collective Um, response of uh, unknowing and not really understanding what's coming. And um, very often when we don't know what's coming, we become anxious. So anxiety is one of the primary emotions that we're seeing from from families, from individuals. And uh, and because of the, the often close proximity that they are in, together, different responses from that anxiety can arise. People can get frustrated, they can get angry, they can become afraid. So you, you see a lot of a lot of different emotions that are stemming from the anxiety and the unknowing. That's probably the most prominent thing that I've been working with with my clients through this pandemic. Um, and also the acclimatization to to whatever it is we're moving into. So people um, tend to have an understanding that things aren't the same anymore, but they're not quite sure why they're not the same or how they're different or whether these differences are going to be permanent. Um, Not so much the lockdown, but what's coming afterwards. So I think there's there's lots of question marks in people's heads right now. And because of that, it's really hard to prepare 
for the future. And when people um, are figuring out how to manage the future, they're often looking to what's happened in the past. The problem here is that there's no precedent for this in modern times. I think it's uh, comforting in itself to know that uh, anxiety, uh, I I think a lot of people are feeling anxious uh, in this uh, new unknown, uh, is actually quite a normal reaction to to, uh, this extreme situation um, where, you know, you can't really refer to the past. And I'm I'm just wondering, what would you say would be like a baseline or normal level of anxiety as opposed to um, something that, you know, people really need to watch out for? So the baseline for anxiety is different for different people. And I, I think most people know or have a general sense of, of what feels normal and what feels off. Um, and I think, you know, for most people through this event, there are increased levels of anxiety, but, you know, certain things would tell you how that's, you know, whether that's something that's kind of at normal levels or, or high levels, things like sleep. Like if you start developing an insomnia, um, that could tell you that your brain is ruminating and not necessarily getting to those resting states. And look, um, you know, some anxiety is natural and normal. It's part of it's part of how we learn to kind of process change and difference um, and what we're moving into. It's just that when it doesn't stop and becomes unrelenting, it can become exhausting and it can tap you out emotionally um, in your ability to, you know, solve everyday problems that at other times you wouldn't find any issues with. So again, the, I guess the, the, the response is that's a, that's an individual thing that, you know, that people are going to have to sort of monitor themselves based on what they've experienced in the past. So most people have gone through um, periods where their anxiety has increased, you know, things like health related things in the family or, you know, not getting into the university program you wanted to get into. There's different, you know, there's different levels. So, you know, it it makes sense that you're going to feel some anxiety, but it's more about it sort of leaking into all the other areas of your life in terms of responsibility. You still need to work, or a lot of people do, um, and it's going to be a very individual thing for different people. Thank you, Max. I think that's good to know. And uh, we'll be coming back to this question of how anxiety may impair the ability of uh, public officials to respond in carrying out their duties a bit later on. But I just want to, you know, I mean, this sounds like quite a bleak picture, but I just wanted to ask if, is there anything positive, any silver lining that you're seeing during this time in terms of, uh, you know, uh, individuals, families uh, showing resilience, showing cohesion uh, in these extraordinary times. What what have you been seeing? Well, first of all, I love that question. Um, I'm constantly uh, trying to let clients know about uh, looking at where the glass is half full because our brains take us always naturally to where it's half empty. So great question. And I do... I am seeing a lot of, of upside to which, which is, I, I understand a strange thing to say with an awful pandemic going on, 
Some of the things are connections that people have with people in their lives. Um, strangely, despite our social isolation, people tend to be reaching out more to other people in their lives through FaceTime or Zoom or some of these uh, electronic connection. And th those conversations tend to be uh, deeper than, than the conversations that used to have in regular everyday life because they're substantive in sharing how they're processing the change and all the difficulty. So those, those conversations are, are actually, um, I think more impactful overall. And so for some people, their relationships are deepening. And in terms of families, um, with parents more accessible, um, with kids are, you know, at least in Ontario and a number of jurisdictions in North America, home from school, I think in Europe, I think all over the world, actually. And, and I think, um, while this can create some stress, um, because parents have to do their jobs while they're also trying to homeschool, um, it's also um, created a sense of collectiveness and cohesion about sort of managing this together. And it's been quite lovely to see. I was actually expecting more conflict than what I'm hearing about. What I'm actually hearing about is, is that people, despite feeling anxious, they also um, are appreciative of that closer connection that they're experiencing. I think that's lovely to hear. And um, I think you've given us a good overview of what, um, I guess, human beings, uh, including financial supervisors, will be feeling at this point in time. You know, there's always a baseline of uh, heightened anxiety in these circumstances. But uh, there's also, also a few bright spots where people see the need to come together, you know, in the, in the face of this unknown virus. I, I would just like to turn our conversation, if I may, um, putting again uh, the public hat on uh, for financial supervisors, as it were. I would like to turn now to uh, public expectations of public institutions, like financial supervisors, like central banks, um, uh, like health authorities, and like politicians, right? And it seems to me, on the one hand, that um, the public is looking for directions and clear answers from those in charge, from public officials, in this time of great uncertainty. But on the other hand, I think this also depends on cultural and social norms. But on the other hand, I cannot help but wonder if all of us at some point have resisted or even resented directions from the authorities, especially if they are kind of inconvenient or they seem to chip away at our freedoms. So from, from the point of view of public officials, including financial supervisors, it really seems that public communications is a great challenge at this time that they really have to get right. So how can our public officials and financial supervisors be sensitive in their communications to a very stressed public, to a very stressed society? I think projecting a sense of calm would be one of the most important things that they could do. Um, the people that they're speaking to are very anxious and they're looking for information. So leaders, financial managers need to present 
information that's sometimes going to be difficult to hear in a way that's empathetic and understanding that it might be difficult for people to hear. But transparency is going to be the most important thing. Um, sometimes you're going to have to give information that is very inconvenient for people, and they're going to have an emotional response to that. But if you give those, um, if you engage in a way that is empathetic and understanding and calm, you're less likely to heighten their anxiety because they're often going to be taking their emotional cues from you. The other question I would imagine that stems from that is, okay, so how are they going to uh, project a sense of calm if they themselves don't have all the answers? Well, part of the transparency would be being truthful about what they know and what they don't know. It's going to be tough to say, I don't have the answer to that, but you can do that in a way that's respectful and um, not patronizing and say something like, I don't have the answer to that, but I will do my best to find out um, because that's a, that's an important question. And, and so almost sharing your own process of how you're kind of um, incorporating all of this new information with your clients in a very kind of transparent way. Again, it might be difficult for people to hear, but at the end of the day, these are about long-term relationships. And what you want to convey most importantly is, is that you're trustworthy. So if you answer something based on what somebody wants to hear, but then that you know, and that makes them say less anxious in the moment. But in reality, that's not completely truthful. And they find out later, you're actually doing damage to the relationship. Through difficult times, relationships need to be protected. And the way to do that is being sincere and honest. Well, thank you, Max. I think there's just so many concepts there and so much good advice here. Um, uh, public institutions, public officials need to stay calm themselves, uh, project confidence right to the constituency. Um, and I'm hearing also about doing this in a transparent way, uh, doing this with respect and not patronizing the public. And ultimately, this is about, as you said, a long-term relationship uh, between you know the the uh, public which these institutions are serving, which financial supervisors are serving, um, and keeping that trust, uh, you know, during the pandemic as well as uh, after the pandemic. Max, these expectations of the public do add to the weight on the shoulders of our financial supervisors and other public officials uh, that they have to do the right thing, they have to do it right now. There's a feeling there's a lot at stake and also that so much is unknown. And certainly, personally, I have felt this weight of accountability and responsibility uh, when I worked in a central bank in Asia uh, during the Asian financial crisis 20 years ago and uh, also during the global financial crisis. And I can totally identify with the feelings of anxiety, inadequacy. Uh, sometimes one just feels paralyzed to make decisions at all. And I think that was what we were talking 
about at the beginning. Uh, sometimes the, the feelings of anxiety does impair our uh, commitment or our ability to make decisions because there's just too much to process. So my question to you is, how can we as financial supervisors, as public officials, keep ourselves going day after day? So um, what I hear you asking about is, is um, resilience and, and your ability to continue to do the work that you're meant to do through very difficult times. Um, and obviously a very, very important question, um, frankly, for anybody with a job. Um, what I would say is that uh, balance, um, making sure that uh, the way to bring your best self to any project or job is to make sure that all of the areas of your life are being attended to. Now, with anxiety, it's tricky because anxiety can um, take on a life of its own. And so like a, um, if your brain is kind of really worried about, you know, what it has to do or what it has to process, um, it can get into a cycle of getting more and more worried. It actually can end in things like a panic attack, which you obviously don't want to have happen, um, certainly not in front of uh, your clients. So the way to do that is to, to make sure that your coping strategies uh, through this these anxious times are robust. So what are some of those things that are important? One of the absolutely most important things is that you're getting regular rest and sleep. So making sure that you're prioritizing um, that time, keeping electronics out of your bedroom and um, making sure that you're spending time unwinding at night, not focused on work so that you can get some good rest. Just so you know, having a good seven to eight hours of sleep is like therapy for your brain. There's so much processing that goes on when we sleep. And that's why often when someone is dealing with an issue, and you've probably heard of the expression, well, I'll sleep on it. And then you wake up and very often you have the answers because your brain has been processing some of that stuff in the middle of the night unconsciously. So that's really, really important. So the way to facilitate getting good sleep, um, I would say it's probably a very, very important time to really be mindful of, for example, how much you're drinking. Um, alcohol is a sleep disruptor. It might help you get to sleep faster if people have like a drink or two at the end of their day and it might feel relaxing, but it's actually disrupting processing. It makes it more likely that you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and feel even more anxious. So I would say, you know, when you're working from home, very often that kind of stuff is more accessible. But it, I think it would be very important to put boundaries around at this time in particular. Other things that you can do that would be very important is to make sure that your body is getting um, a workout in whatever way that you do that, whether it's going for walks, um, whether it's doing a home you know, exercise program, something like that. If your body is tired out, you are going to sleep better. So that's one thing. The other thing um, in terms of calming the anxiety uh, would be mindfulness. 
you've probably heard of, you know, people meditate, they do all kinds of things like that. That's, that's not even actually necessary in terms of um, getting to mindfulness. Um, I think it's very beneficial, but I don't think you need a practice of meditation to experience the benefits of mindfulness. So for example, when you take a shower, um, very often people are, um, their, their brains go to, um, oh, I have this to do next and this, and they start planning and they start um, feeling anxiety associated with, with what's coming up. And I always recommend to my clients that when you do something like that, when you jump into the shower, actually, it's a great opportunity for mindfulness to like get into the sensations of your body, the water on your scalp, the fingers while you're washing your hair, that kind of stuff. What that does is that roots you in the present moment. And when we're rooted in the present moment, we stop thinking, we stop ruminating about the past and we stop worrying about the future. And our brains need those breaks to be able to then properly function afterwards. Another way to experience mindfulness, if, you, if you're lucky enough to have um, a pet, like engaging with your pet, again, roots you in the present moment. Um, financial managers are often, I'm, I'm imagining, evaluating previous um, decisions, what's happened in the past to be able to navigate the future. So it's, it's looking at risk and, and making future decisions based on that. So the, their brains don't need any help in going to the past or the future. Most brains need a lot of help in rooting themselves in the present moment. And we know that, that psychologically, that's a very beneficial place to be um, for, for some of the time when you're not having to do that planning. So whatever you're choosing to do at any given time, focus on that. And this is a difficult thing to do. What you're going to notice is that your brain is naturally going to just move um, to ruminating in the past or worrying about the future. And what I would say is just notice that and just gently bring your your attention back to the present moment and what you're doing and experience the, the feelings, um, the relief associated with that because anxiety levels will drop very, very quickly in the moment if you can just focus on what's, what's around you. If you start to feel that your anxiety is rising and, um, you know, you're you're preparing for a meeting one of the things that you can do is just look around the room and you know find five things of a different color well just doing that little piece will bring your anxiety level down and then when your meeting starts you'll probably feel less anxious one of the final things that you can do with anxiety is talk to somebody about it just the process of talking about it and it doesn't have to be with a therapist it can just be with a with an empathetic friend or your partner just sharing what you're going through tends to help you move through it if you try and push your anxiety away it actually has a bit of a slingshot effect of making it worse if you talk about it you move through it and you get to the other side which is a more calm state so i think Talking is is also a great strategy in not staying anxious. Well, thank you so much, Max. I mean, these past uh, you know few minutes that you're giving us really practical tips on 
uh, how to lower anxiety levels. And what I'm hearing is, you know, get the basics of physiology right, get your sleep, get exercise, and then for the mind, you know, uh, the practice of mindfulness to stay in the present. I think that's very helpful. Uh, I must say that as financial supervisors, we tend to ruminate about, you know, past crises and the lessons of those crises. And we, we are also paid to kind of worry about the worst case scenarios in the future and to prepare for, for them, of course. Uh, but this this is a really good reminder that uh, in the midst of all this, we do need clear minds and um, uh, uh, and we need our bodies to work to support uh, our minds to make the necessary decisions. Uh, I just want to turn to another related issue. We talked just a little bit about working from home. Uh, and this is actually uh, perhaps, you know, we have many financial supervisors working from home, and this might be the first time in their careers that they are doing that. And everybody seems to be still figuring out how to transpose their kind of reporting arrangements, decision-making protocols from the office to a work-from-home environment. What can managers and bosses do? Um, to best support their staff, right? What, what can the managers of financial supervisory agents, agencies do to best support their uh, supervisors who are trying to do the best that they can uh, within a work-from-home environment? Well, I think, I think uh, people that, um, that feel supported by their managers um, in a more holistic way are... Uh, and seen more as complete human beings versus just um, extensions of what they do and what they're paid for um, is is quite vital at this time. A lot of people are kind of evaluating um, everything through this this crisis that we're all going through, like what's important to them and and their relationships and what's working and what's not working. And so one of the most important things I, I would imagine managers could do right now is really listen, listen to what people are going through, listen to what their workers are going through and provide an empathetic ear um, about those issues. And, you know, if they're asked to also help to problem solve some of them, if people are struggling um, and giving advice such as the advice that I've just been giving you around balance and, and you know, making sure um, that their workers are attending to all the different parts of their lives that will help them bring their best selves to their work. Um, so, yeah, again, I would imagine making sure that your workers feel supported beyond just the the work but like being seen as human beings and feeling seen and understood through these really really difficult times yes and i think uh also coming back to what you were saying in in the wider context of uh communicating uh honestly uh being transparent uh treating with people with respect uh i guess in the macrocosm of uh public institutions and the clients, the public that they serve would, I imagine, also apply to this uh, microcosm uh, within institutions where managers and bosses uh, should also be transparent uh, with the issues that they are facing, um, gather the best suggestions, listen, as you said, with empathy, and also 
yeah, just be supportive and uh, and clear in their communications. One thing I I would like to add is that um, you know managers are human beings too, and there are going to be mistakes that are made. There might be an initial response that they give to one of their workers about a problem that they might rethink. And I think just sharing that process of being able to say, you know, yeah, what I told you before, I, I, I feel like I've made a mistake and I'd, I'd actually would like to respond this way. I think that's an important piece of being seen as, um, you know, they're fallible like everybody else. The idea is not to project that you're a superhero and that you know it all. Actually, what people need more than anything is um, understanding and empathy and support from a real place. And if you project yourself as something different, as somebody who has all the answers, that's going to put a lot of pressure on you. You need to be um, able to navigate this like everybody else is. Sometimes you might take a step back. It'll be, you know, you're doing well and then you might make a little bit of an error, um, well, just own it and correct it and move on. And that will build trust. Yeah, so a good message to the bosses and managers out there, be kind to yourself as well. Well said. Well, great. Thank you so much, Max. It's been great talking to you. I've learned so much about self-care, about communications, uh, about being kind to ourselves in this uh, difficult period. I'm just wondering, any closing thoughts for our listeners? Well, I, I think the things that we spoke about are, I know that your your audience is primarily financial managers, but these things apply, I think, to, to people across the board. So, so some of these things, um, I would say, share widely with your loved ones, with other people. Practicing self-care is an example for the people in your life. So if you can do these things, for yourself, other people that you're connected to will see you as an example to work towards. So do as I do versus do as I say. So if your workers or your family see you treating yourself well and um, being balanced, they can take their cues from you and aspire to the same levels of self-care themselves, which then can make your relationships better and tends to expand the positivity. Thank you so much, Max. I think that's great advice. And financial supervisors are professionals, but they are also human beings, members of families, members of society, and uh, as absolutely take board, on board what you uh, said about self-care and spreading the message of self-care widely uh, in this time. So thank you again, Max. Thanks for having me, Chen Hui. Thank you. I'm here today in Toronto with psychotherapist Max McConnell, and you've been listening to a Toronto Centre podcast on the go. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm.